Hello, this is Fred Goldstein with Health Innovation Media and Pop Health Week, and I'm here today at the Population Health Alliance Forum in Washington, D.C. This is the 16th year of this event, and I'm joined by a good friend and one of the leaders in the industry, Dr. Ray Fabius. Welcome. Thanks so much, Fred. It's a real pleasure to be here, and uh, thank you so much for giving me a chance to participate in this uh, wonderful forum. Well, it's great to have you. Tell me some initial insights that you've gotten out of the forum. What do you think about it this year? I think uh, the uh, the forum, uh, as we were talking about even uh, offline, the uh, the fact that um, there seems to be an increasing emphasis on uh, sharing of concepts and ideas uh, with with let's say uh, less of a commercial flavor is, uh, is is really refreshing. Fantastic! I know yesterday you gave a really good presentation. I got a lot of really positive feedback from a number of people after it, and you talk, you touched on a number of areas the development of the industry, where it's gone, as well as some of the amazing results you're now beginning to see in looking at that. Can you walk us through that development? Yeah, uh, you know, uh, it sort of chronicles uh, my uh, career and um, my journey in uh, medical management and uh, even the the books that I've written on the subject. So I think, you know, in the early days of managed care, uh, we initially focused on utilization management. And while that seemed to be harsh, and in fact, providers didn't like the idea that they had to pre-authorize certain procedures and treatments that are potentially overutilized, for example, uh, it did actually uh, set some groundwork for Uh, what actually uh, is now being administered even by ACOs in terms of improving the efficiency of care and trying to make sure that the right patient gets to the right service at the right time for the right cost. Uh, Those of us that were really involved in that uh, early period of uh, development in utilization management in the early 90s started to realize that um, we could actually cluster patients together who had the same condition or illness, and it might make sense to try to develop programs to serve those cohorts. And uh, with that, disease management was born. And uh, even your organization has gone through this metamorphosis, which was uh, really born out of uh, disease management and then grown. And as you know, uh, as uh, typified by uh, the Population Health Alliance, At some point, it became clear that not only do we need to try to uh, manage those with chronic illness, but we also have to try hard to keep the well people well, or at least uh, to uh, delay the onset of chronic disease. And so if you could take somebody who is, let's say, genetically predisposed to uh, develop diabetes, and uh, you can make it so that instead of them uh, being diagnosed as diabetic at 45, they're diagnosed at 55 or 65, there's a tremendous uh, benefit uh, uh, financially, uh, certainly to the employer uh, and even to society to delay the onset of chronic disease. And so as we started to better understand that, uh, we all morphed uh, from this concept of uh, just focusing on the 15% of the population that's uh, uh, spending 85% of the dollars to also making sure that we take care of the other 85% of the population so that they don't uh, uh, become uh, costly and uh, and more severely uh, ill. And so that's where population health uh, became, uh, uh, you know, a, a part of the vernacular for all of us in medical management and uh, and, and even today, you know, it is the uh, uh, overwhelming, I'll say, mantra. Uh, but we start to see now uh, um, uh, also uh, uh, an increased connection between health and productivity. And uh, there's a tremendous uh, amount of uh, research now 
uh, even extending that into uh, health and performance. So we do know that uh, from uh, research, including work that was done at Unilever in the lamplighter uh, uh, effort, that uh, high-performing employees are much more likely to be healthy employees. And uh, that seems uh, intuitive, certainly. If you're healthy, you can really uh, commit uh, vitally uh, to uh, your um, employment and your career. Uh, and so once you have this connection between health and productivity, it makes sense then to uh, encourage organizations, uh, communities, and uh, corporations to pursue a culture of health. And is that really because as you look at the determinants of what creates the health side of it, as you move further upstream, it's less and less about that sort of medical approach to something and more about the culture and how you set up that environment to be able to impact those. So you can say, I'm going to move upstream, but what you need to do is really set up a culture because that's going to have the greatest impact on that upstream kind of thing you're trying to affect. Yeah, you know, Peter Drucker, who is perhaps the, uh, the, the guru of management, uh, uh, used to say that uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, so, uh, you know, when you, when you say culture eats strategy for breakfast, uh, what you're really saying is that uh, uh, if you want to really impact an organization or a corporation fundamentally in remarkable ways, you have to even do more than just set up a strategic plan. You have to work on creating an environment where, in the case of a culture of health, uh, the uh, participants in, within this culture are more likely to make the healthy choice both on a conscious and unconscious basis. So can you talk about two things? One is, what are the pieces sort of of that culture of health? You know, what are the tactical things you possibly need to do? And then you mentioned outcomes. So then what, beyond that, then what are the outcomes to expect from something like that? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I've been working at this uh, through my own uh, startup company, Health Next, for five years now, and uh, we've actually identified 218 elements in 10 categories that make up a culture of health. Right. Funny, you presented that yesterday, and those two numbers are actually now firmly embedded in my head. <laughs> 218 in 10 categories. So go, go into that a little deeper. Yeah, so th this is very granular. You know, what we uh, did is we studied the uh, few uh, companies and organizations uh, on earth uh, who have already built a culture of health, uh, which we uh, define as an organization that's demonstrated consistently flat healthcare costs or decreasing healthcare costs, and evidence that their workforce is actually getting healthier over time. Uh, so when you study those companies, uh, you uh, learn all of the different activities or actions that can be taken. And that's where we came up with this uh, 218 number. It's dynamic, so I don't want you to just uh, uh, hold that number uh, in your head forever because actually we're working on three new ones that we've identified and it may actually wind up uh, advancing to uh, a 221. Right. And I believe you also said that you need to hit two, about two-thirds of those to hit that level of being able to impact. And the other thing was you just mentioned this idea of cost flat 
or cost decreasing, which is something you almost never hear about in healthcare. So did these companies actually show flatline costs and decreased? And given that we've had a big debate here about whether this stuff actually works, can you sure to tell us the methodology for that? Yes, yeah, so uh, what we uh, have uh, uh, found uh, is that w- when we go back and we evaluate the benchmark companies against the 218 elements that we've identified, those benchmark companies are doing about two-thirds of them. But what's interesting is that they have their own footprint. So they're not doing the same two-thirds, but they're doing their own uh, selected collection of two-thirds of those 218 elements that gets them to a score of about 700 out of 1,000. And so what we've been able to do with um, our proof of concept is to take companies that have scored uh, in the 200 range or or 300 range and over time uh, help guide them to get close to 700. Uh, And uh, what we have shown is that those companies may start with double-digit medical inflation and ultimately bend the healthcare cost curve as they approach 700. That's really amazing, and it's nice to see we're finally coming up with some solutions that could potentially do that. I mean, everyone talks about the holy grail. How do we stop this train that just keeps rising? Let's sort of switch a little bit now. Not only are you an executive running your company, a thought leader, but you're also the editor and author of this book here, Population Health, of which I also have a small part to play in that with one of the chapters. Let's talk about the book a little bit. Yeah, thanks uh, so much. Uh, You know, our mutual friend, uh, David Nash, who is the dean of the College of Population Health at Thomas Jefferson University, uh, when he was awarded this uh, new school a few years ago, uh, it became pretty clear that uh, he needed to construct a textbook for his students before uh, they arrived. And we had about 18 months uh, runway uh, to create the first edition. Uh, and it was a very good textbook, and uh, in fact, uh, now I'm told that um, there are uh, a large number of graduate school programs and medical schools around the country using the textbook. Yeah, I can tell you, I went back to my alma mater, Trinity, in San Antonio for the Master's in Healthcare Administration, and that was the first thing they told me, hey, Fred, we're using the textbook. We hear you're in it. So, yeah, there's nothing more rewarding than that, except possibly the fact that the uh, publisher, as you know, uh, Jones and Bartlett, Uh, asked us to write a second edition. Uh, One of the greatest validations of a textbook is when the publisher comes to you and says, we don't want uh, another publisher to eclipse our book. Uh, We need an updated version. And so, you know, what's uh, in front of us here is uh, the second edition of the Population Health textbook, uh, which is pretty much fresh off the press, as you know, uh, Fred, because you've made a contribution to this, this textbook. So it's, it's, it's another way of giving back, you know, and recording all the information that we are interested in, in disseminating, especially to the younger people who are just getting in the space. I mean, this is part of your commitment with the Population Health Alliance. Yeah, it really was a lot of fun to work on it, given the fact that we, got, for the chapter I got to focus on, which was policy and with so much going on with ACA, et cetera, but all of the areas in that book are really excellent. It focuses on all the different pieces around population health and how it fits in, and also moving to this, as you talk about culture of health, so there's now this subtitle uh, of the book around culture, which you're working on. So tell me what you're doing with your company. So uh, what we uh, have uh, done is taken a, I'll say, a page out of uh, 
uh, Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. So in, in his uh, effort, he identified those companies that were good and became great and then developed a methodology to help other good companies become great. So uh, we've spent the better part now of five years studying those companies that have built a culture of health and developed a methodology to help other companies that aspire to get there to do it. Uh, so this assessment tool that we talked about already where we can actually swoop in and identify uh, gaps from benchmark for employers uh, is, uh, is great and, uh, and, and certainly giving the company a score uh, out of a thousand and a goal of getting to 700 uh, is, is um, all uh, very important because it's really one of the first efforts to uh, measure culture which is not an easy thing to do but more importantly uh, we provide a three-year strategic plan uh, for the employer uh, or organization regardless of where they are uh, at the present time to get them to that score of 700 by uh, two or three years. And then that will actually, based on what we've seen, take their trend, potentially flatline it or or get it decreasing. And you also talked yesterday about, we've been here, you know, VROI has been discussed ad nauseum at the conference and we moved on to VOI and value investment. And you've sort of taken this whole thing to another really interesting level. Um, and I believe you have three papers coming out pretty soon about some of it. Can you talk about this concept of earnings associated with healthier employees? I guess that's what you would call it. Yeah. So, you know, thanks so much for bringing that research forward. But my company identified years ago that organizations that are committed to a culture of health uh, appeared uh, to be uh, doing better in the stock market if they were publicly traded. And so uh, in 2013, uh, I wrote a paper in concert with the American College of Occupational Environmental Medicine, as you know. And uh, every year, the uh, American College of Occupational Environmental Medicine give out an award, uh, which they call the Corporate Health Achievement Award. And that award is given to companies that uh, have been recognized for their excellence in uh, providing a healthy and safe environment uh, and, and culture uh, for their employees. Uh, and uh, what I did is uh, I pretended that these award-winning companies, and this award has been given out, I think, uh, since the mid-90s, uh, were a mutual fund. And I wanted to know whether or not these award-winning companies would outperform in the stock market relative uh, to the indices. And I modeled uh, these award-winning companies four different ways. And in every case, uh, they markedly outperformed the indices. And my understanding is, based on what you presented, similar to what Esther Dyson did when she launched Way to Wellville and said, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and try to help solve this. You went ahead and set up a fund with your own funds based on these companies and then tracked them over time, right? Yes, uh, I've taken uh, a, a considerable portion of my own uh, personal wealth <laughs> and uh, invested uh, using a more sophisticated methodology than just uh, investing in award-winning companies. But uh, all of the companies in my portfolio are award-winning. Uh, but I also look at other things as well uh, based on the methodology that we developed at HealthNext and have been uh, maintaining a portfolio of what I think are the top 30 or so uh, best culture of health companies uh, on, the, on the globe. 
and uh, my fund has been doing very well. In fact, uh, we've been running at about uh, four percentage points uh, above uh, the index for five years now, which uh, is actually um, uh, a, uh, a remarkable achievement. If you look at other mutual funds, uh, it's, it's very few have been able to have that kind of a track record. So at what point do you open up this fund to other investors so the rest of us can get access to it, or, or the 30 companies, et cetera? Are you thinking of that? Yes, I am. Uh, you know, and I actually was on the phone with uh, the leadership of Health Next uh, to uh, cultivate this new pillar inside our company, which may include uh, offering a, a mutual fund. And uh, we've been exploring uh, various options, including uh, starting a, a culture of health index uh, and uh, also uh, perhaps even managing a series of ETFs uh, as well as um, a, a, a fully managed a mutual fund. So you talked early on about this progression from utilization management to care management to wellness to well-being now to understanding this importance of cultural health. And we've now seen that you can take that in essence and look at where possible savings or results come from. And when you get to a culture of health, you can begin to measure that in terms of both in productivity and employee safety and outcomes, but also in terms of the bottom line of a company, which I find fascinating. And understand there's also a little bit of work around maybe looking at that as in terms of measuring an organization. I've heard some talk about balance sheet or things like that. The, you know, there's a course that I actually teach through the American College of Occupational Environmental Medicine, which perhaps we can bring to the forum. Uh, it's a one-day or two-day uh, program that just focuses on the uh, connection between health and productivity and health and performance. So there's a wealth of literature that's out there already uh, making that connection so that it shouldn't be a difficult leap to say that if you actually make a workforce healthier, uh, that they will be higher performing, and as a consequence, your company will perform better. Uh, but, uh, you know, in, 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 in the article that I wrote, and as you alluded to, the three articles that are going to be coming out uh, to further support this, uh, this connection between healthy workforces and stock performance, uh, we do want to be sure that we at least state at this point that uh, it, there's a very strong correlation uh, there may not be um, a direct causation, although I think there's a wealth of information that suggests that there is. Uh, but at a minimum, it's fair to say that uh, companies who commit to uh, developing a culture of health and safety uh, are smart companies. And they may be smart in other ways as well. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks again for your time here. I think I'm looking forward to seeing these three articles come out. Your presentation yesterday was, as I said, fantastic that you did with Seth Serkner, and really appreciate having you here at the forum this year. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Fred, for letting me be part of this and uh, giving me a forum to uh, to, to, to offer up uh, information that uh, I'm quite passionate about. streets I 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.